I know. Skip guys are funny. I tell you what. All right. Let's, uh, we have our opening psalm, and then we'll, then we'll pray. Uh, so we're in Psalm 68 to start with this morning. It says, uh, May God arise. May his enemies be scattered. May his foes flee before him. May you blow them away like smoke as wax melts before the fire. May the wicked perish before God, but may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. And may they be happy and joyful. Sing to God. Sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with, with singing. But the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. When you, God, went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth shook, the heavens poured down rain. Before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the one of Israel, you gave abundant showers, O God. You refreshed your weary inheritance. Your people settled in it. And from your bounty, God, you provided for the poor. The Lord announces the word, and the women who proclaim it are a mighty throng. Kings and armies flee in haste. The women at home divide the plunder, even while you sleep among the sheep pens. The wings of my dove are sheathed with silver, its feathers with shining gold. When the Almighty scattered the kings in the land, it was like snow falling on Mount Zalman. Mount Bashan, majestic mountain. Mount Bashan, rugged mountain. Why gaze and envy, you rugged mountain, at the mountain where God chooses to reign, where the Lord himself will dwell forever? The chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. The Lord has come from Sinai into his sanctuary. When you ascended on high, you took many captives. You received gifts from people, even from the rebellious, that you, Lord God, might dwell there. Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Our God is a God who saves. From the sovereign Lord comes escape from death. Surely God will crush the heads of his enemies, the hairy crowns of those who go on in their sins. The Lord says, I will bring them from Bashan. I will bring them from the depths of the sea that your feet may wade in the blood of your foes, while the tongues of your dogs have their share. Your procession, God, has come into view, the procession of my God and King into the sanctuary. In front are the singers, after them the musicians. With them are young women playing the trimbrels. Praise God in the great congregation. Praise the Lord in the assembly of Israel. There is the little tribe of Benjamin leading them. There are the great throng of Judah's princes, and there are the princes of Zebulun and Naphtali. Summon your power, God. Show us your strength, O God as you have done before. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings will bring you gifts. Rebuke the beast among the reeds, the herd of bulls among the calves of the nations. Humbled, may the beast bring bars of silver. Scatter the nations who delight in war. Envoys will come from Egypt. Cush will submit herself to God. Sing to God, you kingdoms of the earth. Sing to praise the Lord. To him who rides across the highest heavens, the ancient heavens, who thunders with mighty voice. Proclaim the power of God whose majesty is over Israel, whose power is in the heavens. You, God, are awesome in your sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. Praise be to God. Father, we come before you this morning. Thank you for the snow. We, uh, it just brings Christmas to the heart, Father. As we think about this season leading up to celebrating the birth of your son, we, we are so thankful. Thank you for food bank yesterday. It was hard but good work, Father. Thank you. Thank you for the many blessings that you have given us. Then, Lord, we ask that you continue to allow blessings to, uh, to pour out in our valley. 
Lord, we've got your word open before us. We're going to dive in here. And so we're just we're asking that you come here, that you be with us, that you open your heart and open your mind to us, that you open our hearts and open our minds that we could receive you. And we ask all of that in the loving name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So some some quick announcements. So we had a uh, food bank yesterday and uh it was about 225 families total served, Ms. Barb says, about um, 180 through the drive-through, and then we get the, the deliveries and, um, and all of that for the, for the rest. So it was a lot of hard work yesterday. It was, uh, we got the, the produce boxes. We got some, some pictures playing up here. Um, but so we, we, uh, the truck got here, and uh, something happened. It bound up, and it broke the lift gate. It actually, like, bolts shattered, and, like a weld pulled out. And then we had gotten one pallet off of it, and the, the pallet jack was, like, stuck up in the air. You can't see it there. But, um, and it, it, well, I mean, the guys from, from Food Bank of the Rockies are so awesome. They immediately got the mechanic out on Saturday to come out and, and to help. Um, and, he, I, you know, he hand-unloaded all of those four pallets to the back of the truck so that we could then hand-unload them right into cars mostly and then also onto, onto pallets. And then, um, like I said, the mechanic came out and, and, you know, put the thing back together so they could get it, um, get the, the truck back to the food bank. But probably not the way he was planning on spending his Saturday. But there was no complaining. There was no cursing. There was no nothing. It was just, okay, well, we're going to have to hand-unload. We've got the mechanic on the way. We're going to be here for a while. Let's get these into the cars. It was an amazing reaction to a difficult situation. It's just pretty cool. Um, so for those that, that don't know, when we get those produce boxes, they're part of a program called uh, Farmers to Families. Um, it's a federal program that um, started with, with the pandemic. And so I, I pulled up some stats on this. Um, so they've done four rounds of this, um, of this Farmers to Families program. It's through the USDA, and basically what they do is if you're a farmer, you apply to the USDA to be a contractor for this, and then you can supply the food, and it goes directly to food banks. So the first round, which was May 15th through June 30th, they did 35.7 million food boxes. In July 1st, August 31st, they did 50.8 million. In September 1st through September 18th, they did 15.2 million. September 22nd to October 31st, they did 18.1 million. And then in the current period, which goes through to December 31st, they have done 7.1 million food boxes. So we are just a, a small portion of that. But think about it. We got 250, 200, yeah, 250 boxes yesterday that add on to what we normally would give out um, for, um, uh, to our family. So it's been a, a huge blessing for us to be able to give that out. I don't know if they'll extend the program or not, but um, definitely amazing stuff. Um, if you can, please continue to, to pray for my, my coworker's son, Jalen. Um, they got to move to, uh, to a rehab center, um, and uh, I don't know, you know, they, they haven't really said how he's doing this, that he was doing a little bit better, but um, please just keep him in your prayers if you would. Um, Bible studies, uh, we're, like I say, still going to keep those, um, you know, kind of on a break until we can get it back going. Um, I think Vernon is, is on the mend, so that's good. Uh, Miss Rhonda is going to be in quarantine so that she can spend Christmas with her family. Um, doesn't want to spread that to, to her folks, so um, we'll have a break on that. Um, we do still need one teacher for, uh, for the kids' ministry, so if you are at all interested in that, please see Miss Elizabeth. Um, okay, so I think that was all the announcements. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's Miss Barb's birthday today. <laughs> and she was going to play hooky today, but she's here. And 
We love her. So I would take my microphone off so that I don't, you know, hurt anybody's ears. But can we please sing happy birthday to Miss Barb? All right. So um, Jill gave these to me this morning, and um, we'll, we'll find a place. I'm going to show these to Miss Barb in just a little bit. But we got some awesome handwritten thank yous for when we went out and, and walked through the neighborhoods. When you guys, I wasn't there. <laughs> when you guys went out and gave away all that food, these are um, some amazing things. It says, thank you for all the food gifts in this trailer court. The children did a good job, and I know God blessed all of you going door to door. You did what God says is required of each of us daily. Thank you. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) Yeah. It just says, We want to express how very grateful we are to have been surprised with your generous Thanksgiving gifts of food. May God bless each of you at least a thousand times over. We will never forget and always head you up in prayers. It's awesome. Awesome, awesome stuff. So, Our theme today is joy. It's joy. We're in the third week of Lent. We're in the shepherd's candle. Joy is our theme for today. So we're going to read about the shepherds. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. And the first thing of joy that I have for you is it's a shorter message today. Remember, we got to clear out the sanctuary because we got the carpets being cleaned this week. (laughs) See? Joyful. All right. We're in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in a clothes and lying in a manger. So, We're looking for joy. We're looking for real joy, not momentary, fleeting joy, not, you know, the the simple pleasures or the things that that come and go. When we were kids, you know, we'd always open wrap your favorite toy. You know, you get the new thing, whatever it was. And it's amazing how quickly that fades away, that, you know, in in a month or two months or by the time your birthday rolls around, how that thing that you absolutely wanted, you absolutely had to have, you know, it suddenly is, is old and worn out, and, and you want the next new. Not, not that kind of joy. That's not the kind of joy that we're seeking. Think about the joy that comes from a new car or a new toy or a new job or a promotion or, or new clothes or whatever the, the material thing is. Those things, they, they quickly fade. Those less, they, they fade away. No, we're, we're looking for pure joy that lasts, joy that, that is good that through all times and through all seasons, we can call good. That when we look back from our old age, we can say, no, that was truly good and still brings joy to you. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 4 through 5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21 say, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. 
But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 10 say, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And I think we know that's true, that in our pursuit of idols and our lusts and our desires, that actually can cause us no end of trouble. That a lot of the, the, the bad things that we find ourselves in is not necessarily because of the bad situation, but because we were lusting after something we shouldn't have been lusting after, chasing after things that weren't good for us. And quite frankly, it's almost good that we didn't get it because it would just lead us further astray. Because so many of our feelings of anger and bitterness and resentment and jealousy, they come from those pursuits of worldly gain. So now is a good time. It's a good time to think about what occupies our thoughts, what occupies our time. Because if our time and our thoughts are occupied with the things of the world, with unhealthy things, now is a great time to get rid of them. Instead, to spend our time, this time, Christmas time, thinking about Christ, about Christmas, and about the gift of Christmas. It's funny, but you know, the holidays are one of the most stressful times in America. It's one of the times where, um, especially the, the emergency services, they talk a lot about how this is one of the highest times for calls of service. Um, as, a, as a firefighter, it's funny, but uh, Grunkle was just sharing a story. There was a fire up in um, his neighborhood last night, but it's true. Um, when people get out their portable heaters and they put on their Christmas lights, um, power strips uh, and, and uh, um, you know, houses that had old wiring were two of the biggest sources for structure fires, and you'd always get some kind of a structure fire. That, and it's not so prevalent anymore, but it used to be people that didn't clean their chimneys um, regularly. That was a, a big cause. And so it would, you know, they would start them up in October, and then, you know, about December time would be about the time enough creosote would be built up in the, in the, in the chimneys that you would start having structure fires. But um, thankfully, we, we, you know, don't have that as much. But the thing is that Christmas can be a really stressful time. There's a lot of people right now who don't have a lot of joy, that are really struggling. And our society puts a lot of pressure on us right now. Think about the Christmas gifts. So you turn on the TV or you open your phone and there's just ad after ad after ad after ad. You know, why, why haven't you bought this yet? The Black Friday deals and the Cyber Monday deals. It's the Christmas lights and the Christmas parties and the family gatherings. And then that leads to family drama, doesn't it? All of those strained relationships and all of the, the stuff that has built up over the year. And then we're supposed to, to get together to have this joyous time. And so many times it, it ends up boiling over. And, you know, we can't expect to fix years of problems in one evening, in one gathering, Unless, unless everyone really wants to, right? Everybody that's involved has to intentionally want to work on those issues. And quite frankly, alcohol doesn't help. <laughs> but here's the thing. When we talk about what's occupying our mind and what's occupying our thoughts, this is the magic, the joy of Christmas carols. See, it's hard 
to have the wrong things in your heart, to have the wrong things in your mind while you're worshiping God. There's a reason why we spend time worshiping every morning. Because it's really hard to focus on the bad things of the world, to have lusts in your heart when you're singing praise to Jesus. I, I suppose you could do it if you really tried. I guess you can, you know. But when we put those things, when, they, when we lift up our voices to God, it puts it into our heart. Spurgeon says, Beloved, it is not easy to fight the evil in our own souls and to sing at the same time. Christian soldiers, we know, ought to do it and march to battle with songs of triumph, nerving their spirit to deeds of desperate valor. But oh, how often the garment rolled in dust and blood compels us to stay for a while the shout of certain victory. See, the distractions of the world, they keep us from worshiping. They keep us from praising. Even, <laughs> we're talking about Christmas carols. A lot of the songs that are put on our Christmas playlists are not really Christmas carols at all. They're just secular songs with kind of, uh, you know, sleigh bells in the background. But blast those Christmas tunes. Not, not jingle bells or all I want for Christmas, Mariah Carey, no. But silent night, hark the herald angels sing. The blessing, away in a manger. See, there's very few ills that can stay in your heart and mind while you are singing the story of salvation. And that gives us a, a great tip. When we're having, struggling to find joy, take that time to put in a little bit of worship. The next part is finding joy in our thoughts, in our, in our minds. I put this as finding joy in doctrine. Ooh. See, we have this book. God has given us the, this Bible. And we spend all this time in church. And the idea is that it, it equips us. It gives us weapons. It gives us tools that when we're struggling to find joy, and, and make no mistake, God wants us to have joy every day. Yes, we have hard work. Yes, we have burdens we have to carry. Yes, we have struggles. But he doesn't want us to spend our whole life just beat down and down in the mouth and, and sour all the time. He's not rooting for that. He wants us to have a life filled with joy. So I, I, there's a ton, a ton of C.S. Lewis quotes in here. <laughs> I think I, I drove Brooke absolutely nuts. So I was gone earlier this week, and uh, I started writing this message. And then I think about 5 o'clock yesterday, I threw that entire message out and rewrote it. So, <laughs> But in there, I was reading through a lot of, of C.S. Lewis quotes. And I'm going to ask you guys a, a question real quick, like, when we talk about the Bible, if you could sum it up in one word, what would it be? If you could sum up the whole Bible, what it's about, the whole story of the Bible, what would it be? Love? What else? Jesus. That's it. The whole story of the Bible is Jesus. That's it. If you were to sum it up in one word. C.S. Lewis says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying that really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. 
You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. And he did not intend to. That's from mere Christianity. So again, our our theme is finding joy in the Bible, in doctrine. This book that is entirely dedicated to the subject of Jesus, of Christ, of his story. He is the supreme subject of the Bible. And we can find joy, true joy, as we seek out knowledge of God. So our first part is the knowledge of election. There's going to be some fancy words in here, but the thing is that God knew you before you were born. He knew you, he made you, and he chose you, and he continues to choose you. What great joy to know that the maker of the universe, that the one who spoke the stars into being, the one who set the planets in their places and and set them in motion, that that same God said, no, now is the perfect time for you to come into the world, for you to exist. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 5 say, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring us unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit, guaranteeing your, your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Amen. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, All the days were ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So now is a great time to think about the fact that God knows you, that he knew you, and he chooses you. That brings us to the doctrine of redemption. We can find joy that not only did God know us, does he know us, does he love us, but that he purchased us that he redeemed us, we were bought with a cost, that we were worth redeeming. Isn't that incredible? That no matter where we are, no matter where we were, no matter where we came from, no matter what we have done, 
God looked at us, each end of us, individually and said, no, you are worth purchasing back. You are worth buying. You are worth having. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 26 say, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption, the purchasing, that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time. So, as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He bought us back. Isaiah chapter 3, when I was reading Isaiah chapter 53, I kind of wanted to include the whole chapter. I didn't. I just got verses 3 through 5, but Isaiah chapter 53 is just, it's magical, and it's all about Christ. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 through 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Isn't that incredible? It's absolutely amazing. So this Christmas time when we're struggling, we're wondering, man, what is my worth? This is one of the highest times for suicide in our nation. But how could, how could you not know your worth if this, and believe me, I'm standing here proclaiming it to you right now, if you do not know, God knows you, he loves you, he chooses you, he purchased you. You are worth so much. You are worth the shedding of his son's blood. You're worth it. That wasn't some accident. That wasn't some, well, I guess I will. I'll go down and get them. No. He looked down and said, they're worth it. They're worth every single bit of it and more. And if there was only one, if there was only one of us, he still would have done it. Every single one of us. He looked and said, no, now is the perfect time for them to come into the world. Now is the perfect time for them to live. Now are the challenges that they will have the skills to face. Now they will come. And then he said, don't worry. Whatever it is that you face, I've covered it. And I've bought you back so that you can be with me. C.S. Lewis, I told you, there's going to be lots of C.S. Lewis quotes today. Say, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, thy will be done. All that are in hell choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek find, 
and those who knock, it is open to them. See, we can find joy in the doctrine of redemption, that God did not give up on us. He made us, he knows us, he chose us, and he chose to redeem us. And it's hard to harbor pride in our hearts when we hold that gift of redemption and forgiveness in our hands. The next part. We can find joy in the doctrine of justification. See, God is a lavish giver. He doesn't just know us. He doesn't just choose us. He doesn't just redeem us. He justifies us. We stand before God and are acquitted, made righteous, given a right standing before God. Isn't that incredible? That no matter where we've gone, no matter what we have done, no matter what what we have said, no matter who we have hurt, he says, no, it's been washed away. You stand before me, washed clean. All of those things, not only did I buy you back, not only did I redeem you, but when I redeemed you, I forgave you and, and, and let it all go. We can't do that to ourselves. We still carry around things, that the pain from our past in our own lives, and, and God's already forgotten it. He said, no, I, I washed you. I, I made you clean. You stand before me with, with no accusation. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one he loves. John 13, verses 2 through 11 says, The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and they had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. But Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter says, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Yep, I'm with him. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. I've used this example before, but it makes the point. Go write down everything, everything you've ever done, every bad thing, every mean word, every lie, every lust, every anger, greed, things you crave. Go write them all down. Realize that Jesus took his name and signed it in blood over the top of every single one of them. All of them. Every last one. He said, nope, this one's mine. Every single one of them. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? As we stand here as a redeemed people, as a justified people, that we stand clean, that we can enter the presence of God. Wow. <laughs> if that doesn't give us joy at Christmas time, <laughs> what will? 
Oh, wait. Oh, wait. There's more. Isn't that amazing? See, Jesus wrote his name in blood over every single one of them. And we stand before God accused. We do. Satan accuses us in the throne room of God. But Jesus is our advocate. Isn't that amazing that Jesus is our advocate? That he stands as the prosecuting attorney, as the judge, and our defense attorney. 1 John 2, 1 says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Acts chapter 13, verse 38 through 39 Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. See, I got another quote from C.S. Lewis here. A Christian is not a man who never goes wrong, but a man who is enabled to repent and pick himself up and begin over again after each stumble because the Christ life inside him, repairing him all the time. We're not perfect, but we are forgiven. Amen. And as I said, there's, there's more. God didn't just know us, didn't just make us, didn't just choose us, didn't just redeem us, didn't just justify us. We don't just stand before God and are acquitted, made righteous, given a right standing before God. No. He calls us to communion. He calls us to a relationship. He adopts us as sons and daughters. Isn't that absolutely incredible? We can find joy in the doctrine of communion. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. We read this before. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us. Isn't that incredible? Adoption to sonship. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are His child, God has made you also an heir. See, we take great joy in knowing that we are personally invited to a relationship with God. I was thinking, there's great power when somebody claims you, and somebody lays a claim on you. And it's kind of painful when we are rejected from those claims as well, but when someone calls you co-worker, it means something. 
That means that you're working together, that you're completing things, that you're doing things together, that you're building, that they consider you a professional and an equal. Teammate. We're on the same team. I want you to win. I want to win with you. I want to be on the field with you, playing hard, taking the hits, and scoring the goals. What about friend? In my free time, in the time I have away from work, I want to hang out with you. Maybe we'll watch a movie or go hike or go camp or go fish or maybe we'll just sit and do nothing. Maybe we'll build a doghouse or build a deck or I'll help you move. Because I vouch for you. You're my friend. Just FYI, as a, as a side note, there's a difference between friends and best friends, if you don't know. See, when you find yourself in jail, a friend will bail you out of jail. A best friend won't because they're in jail with you. That's <laughs> what about cousin? The best friends you can't get rid of, right? What about brother or sister? For better and for worse, we're stuck together. For better or worse, we know each other. We can fight like cats and dogs and then turn and defend each other to the death. What about husband or wife? Who's the person that chooses to love you every day? See, being married isn't always easy. It is absolutely worth it. But all the adventures, all the mistakes, all the good times, all the bad times, all of the feelings, the joy and the peace, the comfort, sometimes the sadness, the the frustration, I choose to do that with you. I choose to love you through it all. The Counting Crows, they have a song that's one of my favorites that it kind of sums it up. It says, the smell of hospitals in winter, the feeling that it's all a lot of oysters with no pearls. Then later on it says, then all at once you look across a crowded room and you see the way that light attaches to a girl. See, God says, call me Abba, Father, Daddy. He calls us sons and daughters. He claims us, adopts us, loves us, corrects us, makes room for us. And if there is a message for our world today, this is it. You belong to the family. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. See, God didn't just make us, didn't just know us, didn't just choose us, didn't just redeem us. We don't just stand before God acquitted, made righteous, given a right standing before God, but we have been adopted as sons and daughters, invited into a personal relationship with him. See, you might think that was the end, but it's not. (laughs) I know. The last one is the doctrine of eternal salvation. You're at Christmas time and you're going, man, I still haven't found joy. I still haven't found it. I still got a little bit of Grinch. My, my heart is still three sizes too small. Have I got a deal for you? Let's open door number seven. I don't know. Eternal salvation. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 through 58. But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? What kind of body will they come? How foolish. 
What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body, as he has determined, and each kind of seed he gives it in his own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and stars differ from star and splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I dare declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. So where, death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. See, things are not always easy, are they? Sometimes we get beat up and we get beat down. Sometimes it seems like we get nothing but the short end of the stick. What do you say to somebody who's suffering from cancer or from rheumatoid arthritis? Or my child is sick, my parents, my, my spouse. I lost my job and, and now we might lose the house. The government closed my business. What about someone who is suffering in their sin? They have a habit of losing and they can't seem to shake it. Those troubles are not light. And they are not easy. They are painful and they are all-consuming. But they get lighter in the light of eternal salvation. Years of suffering are not easy, but they are easier with the hope of resurrection and salvation. The hope we have in Jesus is a light strong enough to guide us through the darkness so we can find hope in the doctrine of eternal salvation. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18 says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, 
so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left, left behind, until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let's take some joy from that. If we were to think about a Christmas wreath, it's Christmas time. We put all these symbols up. We're, after we get the carpets clean, we'll get the, the church decorated up for, for Christmas time. Whenever you look on a wreath, take a moment. Because, see, that's a circle. And it's, it's made in a circle because God is eternal. It's made from evergreen branches to represent eternity and eternal salvation. It has mistletoe because the red berries that only bloom in the wintertime represent the blood of Christ. We wrap it in gold and silver to represent not only royalty, but also the gifts from the Magi. It has lights on it because Jesus is the light of the world who overcame the darkness. He is the light of all mankind. So when we're looking for joy, when we're looking to spread joy this Christmas, let's sing a a carol, a worship song. Maybe we need to contemplate a wreath. But it's amazing to know that our Christmas decorations, our singing can be a declaration of our doctrine, of the joy we find in applying our minds to the Bible. Isn't that amazing? And we can carry that joy with us. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and we testify to it. Each and every one of us, we testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. God made us. God knows us. God chose us. God redeemed us. God justified us. God adopted us. And God has made a place for us in eternity. Amen. Psalm 30. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help, and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. 
that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for our church family. Lord, we, um, you have blessed us abundantly. We are seeking, Lord, Lord to, uh, to go out of here to have another week and to keep your joy in our hearts, to keep you in our minds, that we would not be weighed down by the, the things of this world, but that we would focus on the things of you and that maybe we could spread some of that to those around us, to the people that need you. Father, we are seeking to be about your business, to be about your work, to help those and to see those that need help. Father, we, um, we seek to be a church that is on your path, that is serving you well. So correct us if we need correcting. Provide it for us if we need providing for. Lift us up when we have fallen, Father, and speak to us when we need guidance. We ask all of this in the redeeming name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So, again, um, we do need to, to get the chairs. Um, I think we'll put them all in the, in the gray room um, next door because we're going to clean all the, all the carpets, all of the things, yes? All of them. So we'll get all that stuff moved out, and then, yeah, you guys have a wonderful week.